If you have your Bibles, you can go to Colossians chapter 2. We're actually turning the page, and uh, you know, it's great every Sunday to worship together and to kind of, we hope and we we pray that this Sunday night would be a night which kind of recharges you for the week ahead and in a way lets you kind of get a little closer to Jesus and we want him to be more and more famous in our city, in your life, and uh, changing you. And that's really the goal of this whole series uh, through the book of Colossians, one of the really, really special books. They're all special, but this one's really special. I think uh, in my mind, in my heart, and I know for uh, a few others here too, just of what Paul's wanting us to see in Jesus. But as we dive into chapter two, I wanna give you an image that I want to stick with you this week. And the image is simply this. I remember as, as a young father um, with, uh, with Taylor, my first, right? And uh, you go through the stage. Taylor was, um, like, he'd occasionally crawl, but more often, and I can say this because he's not here, uh, he just rolled everywhere. So, like, he would just kind of tumble and roll like a log rolling down a hill. That's how he got places. That's how he would get to toys across the room and all that kind of stuff. We, like, occasionally I would demonstrate how to crawl, and he would be like, yeah, that looks not fun. Uh, And then he would just roll uh, to where he had to go. So I don't know how you were when you were a kid or if you're a parent, kind of what your kids did, but there came that stage where it's going from rolling, crawling, whatever that was, to this place of beginning to do what you and I do all the time. Uh, most of you, kind of almost all of you, walked in here, right? And so as you walked in here, you, you did something, like you, you kind of took your, your left foot and you, you went forward and then your right foot and then you, you kind of know how it works, right? Because that's how you got here. Uh, and the reality is you had to be taught that, right? You, you aren't just inherently gifted with that idea of walking right away naturally. You had to kind of work your way up to that. And so as a parent, you would kind of take your your fingers, you would let them grab your fingers or so, um, and and you would kind of help them walk along, right? Do you remember those stages? You remember that time? And and then occasionally you would get down in front of them and you would kind of just kind of call them and you would see them kind of do the whole wobble thing. And my favorite thing on TV or kind of on YouTube is the little kid who's walking down the hallway and maybe you've seen the, 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 <coughs> the video of it where he's like walking down the hall and it's like you walk in on an awkward conversation and he's like, you know, have you seen this one? It's really funny, uh, but go look for it. It's really funny. I don't even know what, what they even call it, but it's this to- little toddler, and, and the reality is, okay, you're trying to get to this idea of walking, right? And there's a lot of effort that goes into that, but once you've got it, you just kind of continue in that. Like, you don't go further in your life and then learn how to levitate, right? I mean, as cool as that would be, you don't. Like, maybe you tried, but the reality is you don't wake up one day and go, you know, I'm tired of walking. I'm just gonna levitate. And then you try to do, like, as a species, we don't do that, right? In our human condition, we say, okay, we we got the walking thing, and that's how we continue in this. And I want you to keep that in mind, because in essence, that is where Paul's going in chapter two. Now, you may not go, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. The reality is he's saying, look, you've got this walking thing down in Jesus like he's gifted you this. Just keep walking in him. Just let your faith keep walking 
in him. It's important. Remember, I'll kind of backtrack a little bit through this whole deal. Paul is, is speaking against some heresy, some teaching that's going on, uh, some Judaizers that are saying, okay, uh, not only do you, you can have Jesus, that's fine, but now you actually got to um, like keep all the Jewish law as well, and if you're a male, you gotta be circumcised, like, hello. <laughs> okay, when you're 30, you don't wanna do that. Uh, so, <clears throat> That would be weird. Uh, but that's kind of what's happening. This is, you gotta keep the law now and have Jesus. And Paul said, no, 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 you got Jesus, that's all you need. And there's some early Gnostic teaching that's going in here and say, okay, well, Jesus is nice, but he's not everything. You've gotta actually uh, start studying kind of an angelic beings and you've gotta learn about them. You've gotta have this secret knowledge and pursuit of this. You've gotta have these rituals and these traditions. And Paul's speaking to this early church saying, look, all that stuff is just, okay, you have Jesus. That's all you need. You need to keep walking in him. And so Paul, as a spiritual father, wants at the very heart of what he's intending for this church is to say, you have all you need. You need to keep hanging onto that and focusing on that. I want your well-being and for you to be prepared to live a godly life and to respond in godly ways as you navigate your life that we looked at last week. If you missed last week, gosh, you missed something fun. Um, And it was just a great night as we looked at this incredible hymn and really this painting that Paul is saying, here's who Jesus is. The the Gnostics were kind of saying, well, Jesus has these flaws because matter is flawed and he can't be fully God and fully man and Paul's just saying okay did that and and he's saying look Jesus is so flawless he's so perfect he's heroic and you've got to see him for who he really is and we we actually had that question of who do you say Jesus is what's your opinion about him and last week we talked about this idea that somewhere along the way you have to move from being a person with an opinion about Jesus to a person who makes a decision about him and some of you did that to make this decision to follow after him because Paul's saying, look, how you see Jesus, how you see him, will determine what you do with him. And so he's unfolding this incredible hymn and here's kind of what he said, we summed it up this way. Jesus is kind of the hero of all history. He's the centerpiece of our faith. With him we have all we need. Without him we've got nothing. That's the picture of the end of chapter one that Paul's painting, and then he turns this page to chapter two. He talks a little bit about his journey in the first couple couple of verses or so, and then I wanna look at verses kind of six through 15 tonight, and really kind of the end of the chapter, but we won't have time to go into it, but here's what he says in verses kind of six and seven is the crux of chapter two, and really, in essence, the crux of this whole book is summed up in this. Here's what he says. So then, He's been talking about this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. It's kind of this idea of walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in faith as you were taught. Overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. As you have received Christ you stay in him. As you've received him as Lord, you continue in him. That's what you're to be. You continue with him. He's not just a savior who saves you from your sin and your brokenness and from the enemy's grips. That's the reality. He is that. But he's also Lord. And he rules over his people in a benevolent manner. And he's Lord, meaning he wants to be leader of your life, not just an accessory to your life. 
He wants to call the shots and he wants to do a transforming work within you that the gospel of what he did and what he accomplished and who he is and how he says to navigate life would be a transforming work on and on in your life. He wants you to be rooted in him. It's God who said, when, when you became a believer, and maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here and you're just kind of investigating Jesus, and that's cool. We want to be a church where you can investigate him and get curious about him on your own space and your own journey, and you can figure out when to go from this opinion about him to this decision about him. But for many of us, we've been walking with Jesus a while, and, and this reality of what Paul's saying is, you stay rooted in him, that God did this work when he, he kind of planted you in Jesus, when you put your faith in him, and you're to put your roots down in him. What do roots do, right? They, don't, they only have kind of one, two jobs, right? Roots are this whole idea of how a plant gets what? Nourishment would be kind of a cool word uh, to put there. A plant gets nourishment, right? It's where a plant kind of gets what they need to do fruit. A tree uh, or a plant never sits there and like grunts to produce fruit, right? They're like, ugh, you don't walk by plants out in the forest and you like hear them grunting because that's weird. Uh, but you, w- you don't do that because they just have their roots into the ground, right? And it's everything that God supplies Everything of the rain and the nutrients and the soil and all of that that's kind of brought up into the plant, into the tree, and that's what produces this fruit. And Paul is saying, look, you stay rooted in Jesus. This isn't about your effort. You stay rooted. Don't go rummaging around trying to find other things and try to be a better person and try to do all this stuff on your own and, and figure out some new tradition and some kind of new ritual that you're supposed to do in order to have more wisdom. Listen, no, no, no. That's just a waste of your effort. God is the one who's done the work for you. You just stay rooted in him. I don't know if you've ever studied root systems. Anyone ever been uh, to the redwood tree forest up in Northern California? I hear it's gorgeous. I, I've, I haven't had a chance to go myself, but my in-laws came back from there last summer and, and just looking at the redwood trees, you realize pine trees kind of get to this place where maybe they're 250 feet, maybe a couple feet over that. That's as tall as they go, but a redwood tree can go well over 300 feet. Do you know how deep the root system is on a redwood tree? Take a wild guess. Anyone think it's more than 50 feet? You'd be wrong. Um, I just wanted you to feel that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just because I would be wrong. Uh, You would think a 300-foot tree would have a deep root system. The reality is it's six to 12 feet deep. 12 feet at the max for an over 300 foot tall tree. That doesn't make sense. Like just physics wise, when the wind wouldn't come and and things would sway, until you begin to study and understand that the redwood tree actually gives us a picture of what the New Testament talks about as believers live their lives intertwined because here's how a redwood stays up. 300 feet high, They may only go six to 12 feet deep, but they go about 50 feet out in radius, and they actually intertwine root systems with the other trees around them. And that's how they can withstand the winds that blow against them. It's a beautiful picture of what we see in the New Testament church, the early church of people living life connected together in a way that when the winds of life blow, they're not toppled because they're just trying to do it on their own. It's not the idea the roots have to go super, super deep. It's they have to be connected. They're connected to what they're in. And Paul's saying, look, you let your roots stay rooted in him. Be rooted in him. Be built up in him. It's a construction term. 
For those of you who love construction, this is Paul talking construction. He's saying you be built up in Jesus. It's a work that God's doing. These are verbs that, that Paul is using that are not active verbs like we go and do it. It's verbs describing what God does for us, that he's rooted you in Christ and he is building you up. If you've ever had your house built, we had a house built a few years back and you walk up and you kind of see it progressing over time and the reality is if, if it doesn't have a good foundation, it doesn't matter what the walls look like and what the windows are put in and, and what the stucco looks like on the outside of the house if you have one like that because if it's not built on a solid foundation, it's gonna topple. And what you want is a solid foundation in your house. And that's what Paul's kind of saying. is look, you have this foundation of Jesus and there's no stronger foundation. And now God is gonna build you up in that. He's gonna add some walls. He's gonna add the plumbing. He's gonna add the windows. He's gonna add the stucco as he builds you up on the solid foundation that you have in Jesus. Don't go looking or rummaging for other stuff. He's gonna be the one that supplies the materials needed. So stay rooted in him, stay built up in him, stay strengthened in him. Find your strength in him. God's gonna be the one pouring in the power into your life as you stay connected to him, as you stay aligned to his life and aligned to what he wishes for you, that he's gonna be the one pouring in the the power of what you need. And as he does that, what's fascinating is All three of these words, rooted, built up, established, or strengthened, are all passive verbs, meaning God is the one doing the work. The latter two are this idea of present tense, meaning that it's this ongoing process that God is doing in your life. He's building you up in Jesus. He's strengthening you up in Jesus. And as you stay rooted to him, well, of course you would overflow with thankfulness. Here's a little commentary. As believers followers of Jesus. I know a lot of Christians who are really cranky. Listen, that may be part of your personality, maybe a glass half empty type of person. But if you ever get to the place in your spiritual journey where you're really struggling with thankfulness, then friend, I'm gonna be really honest. You may be drifting toward legalism. You may be drifting toward this idea of you trying to build your own faith, you trying to sustain it. Because what Paul's saying here is you just need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You need to cooperate with God and let him do the work in you. And as he does that, you'll continue to find transformation. God will keep chipping away at things in your character, things in your habits, things in in your life. So you reflect more and more of staying connected to him and reflecting more and more Jesus to a watching world and to yourself. So you stay connected to him. Paul's really driving this home. He goes on, we read it a little bit earlier, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Don't be taken captive. This captive word in in Greek is literally taken hostage. Don't become a hostage of someone else who has really flowery words and things that sound really important and really good. If they're not founded in scripture, if they're not based in that, if, they're not, if they don't come back ultimately to being founded in what Jesus did and what he accomplished and how he says to live life, then you're chasing after things and you're actually letting yourself be taken hostage by maybe traditions or rituals or practices, thinking that that's gonna make you spiritual. 
Paul's saying, don't, don't fall for that. Don't, don't be taken captive. He's writing to this church that is having this other teaching kind of penetrate and be a part of their circumstance and their scenario. He's saying, look, don't fall for this. You have all you need in Jesus. You stay connected to him. He goes on. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What's interesting is that Paul uses this word fullness. Uh, in Greek, it's pleroma which means the sum total of all divine power and attributes. It is a word that the Gnostic teachers were using. Eight different times in the book of Colossians, Paul uses the exact same word to show them that all of the fullness you're looking for is in Jesus, not these other pursuits that you are kind of promoting for people to go after. To, to talk and study about angels. You know, angels are nice and they're great. You've got a guardian angel, that's awesome, but they're not Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. Okay, you can have traditions and, and there could be religious rituals as a part of your life, but they're not Jesus. Uh, these spiritual practices, if they're not founded in the life of Jesus, like if you don't see it displayed in the life of Jesus, then it's probably not something you need to do. Because what Paul just said at the end of Colossians 1 is, hey, you wanna know what God's like? Look at Jesus, because he is. And so everything keeps coming back to Jesus. That may sound like that's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we try to make faith so complicated instead of letting it come back to the very source of, of what it is because it's a who. It's not a what. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. And it's the person of Jesus. And so Paul's saying, look, you can chase after this wisdom. Paul's not saying don't pursue wisdom, don't become educated, don't think for yourself, don't wrestle with things on your own. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, look, don't get caught being held captive by people who sound really good and, 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 and say, hey, I did this for 50 days and this is what taught my, got my spiritual life to a whole nother level. Listen, if it's not centered on Jesus, then you don't need it. And you're really just putting yourself under a lot of unnecessary turmoil and stress. What Paul's writing to this church in Colossians, in essence, he's saying, look, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <sighs> Doesn't that feel good? And this sigh of relief coming over this early church. If your spiritual faith and your spiritual life of walking that out doesn't bring some kind of sigh of relief and thankfulness for everything Jesus did for you, then you've taken on a burden that's unnecessary and is not spiritual. You've taken on a pursuit of trying to make your spiritual journey about you and about what you do. And the truth is Jesus has come to give you freedom. And if the Son has set you free, then friend, you are free indeed. And that is a much healthier place to live from. Because why, why wouldn't I want to follow Jesus then? He's done everything for me. Why wouldn't I want to just go and Jesus go, hey, hey, that part of your life, that's out of alignment, that's out of kilter. I've got a better way, let's change that. And for us to go, yeah, that makes sense. Because you know better. Let's go your way instead of me just kind of banging my head against the wall trying to do it this way. It's this treasure in Christ alone. It's what he writes earlier in chapter two. 
He says, my goal, as he is saying in, chapter, in verse two, he says, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you may have and know the full riches of the complete understanding, in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom and knowledge finds its home in Jesus. So that's where we look. He goes on, uh, skip down a few verses. Chapter, or verse 13, he says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave your sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against you and condemned you. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul's saying, look, you have been made alive. Your conditions spiritually, conditions spiritually before a holy God outside of Jesus just on your own is you weren't just hurt and wounded and on the injured reserve list, you were dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. That's the right answer, okay? So dead people can do nothing for themselves, and that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is Jesus says, look, you can't do anything to get a right relationship with God, but I like you. I love you, and so I did it for you. And so you've been made alive by trusting in Jesus and everything that he did, his life, his death, his resurrection, made a way for you to find life with God. Not because you manufactured enough, not because you were good enough, not because you gave enough, not because you worked your way up to it. You couldn't, you were spiritually dead. But Christ made you alive. So you've been made alive. You've had your debt canceled. There was a debt of sin that waged against you that you could never pay. It was like the national debt that we have, which is like trillions of dollars times 10. That's how much you owed a perfect and holy God. That's how much I owed. I could never pay it. You can never pay it. But Jesus stepped in and he paid it. You ever been in a restaurant where uh, you're getting ready to pay the bill? Maybe you're there with family, with friends, and someone else has seen you and paid your bill for you, and the waitress or the waiter comes up and says, hey, uh, you're good to go. And you're like, well, I haven't paid yet. I got it. They're like, no, no, someone saw you. They wanted to take care of your bill, and they just paid it for you. You ever had that? It's an awesome thing. If you are an older married couple and you see one of our younger couples around here, do that. Do that for them. Surprise them. That was one of the things that happened to Amy and I when we first got married. We had people in our church that just occasionally we were out and about. They never said a word. They just did it for us. And we made a, we made a pledge and said, you know what, we're gonna do that for younger couples because it was such a blessing. Simple little blessing. In a way, times 10, that's what Jesus did for us. This debt that we owed a perfect and holy God that we could never pay on our own, he made a way to pay it, and he took it. His check cleared through the resurrection. That's the proof that the check cashed, that he made a way for us to have life with God. And Paul's painting this incredible picture. Your debt's been paid in full. When Jesus said, it is finished, what he meant is paid in full. You don't owe anything else to God. This isn't about penance or trying to work your way back to helping God like you more. God cannot love you any more than he already does. And so your check 
your debt has been paid. I love what Psalm 103 says this, praise the Lord my soul, forget not his benefits, who forgives our sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. The east and the west never touch. They just keep going. So as far as the east is from the west, the psalmist is saying, your, your sins have been cast away. You don't have that hanging over your head. Listen, for some of you, you need to embrace that, not just think it. Because you've been living under this cloud or this cloak of all this stuff from your past. And Jesus wants you to hear something. It's been paid in full. That should bring a sigh of relief and and well up a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness to say, Jesus, I, I don't even know why you did that. Why would you, I mean, I'm a jerk sometimes. I, I, can't, I did that, I, I've done this. I, you paid for all of that? And she's like, yeah, I got you. And that's what brings up this heart of thankfulness. To go, God, I can't believe that you would do that for me. And having disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross, in ancient times, when a king would return from war, what would happen is he would ride in on, you know, high on the horse, right? We have that saying. And they would ride in and they would have the spoils of their capture of their war, the, all the things that they had taken, and followed behind them would just be a string of prisoners who were stripped naked and who were kind of chained up and were coming in in total kind of shame and their heads bowed and these were all the people that were fighting against that king and that king is what he's saying. It's like, I've captured everybody. I've taken care of it all and now the public spectacle of them. Look at them, they're losers, right? And they would kind of, kind of bring them in through the city and at the very end might be the foreign king that was captured and they would be executed at the very end in a public way that people would say, we're the ones in power. And what's fascinating about the cross is that's what the devil thought. Jesus is up on the cross. It's over. Like the whole story looks like the story, the movement of Jesus is ending because death is an ending. It has been from the very beginning until you get to Jesus when he said death was a comma, not a period. And three days later, the resurrection proves and he comes back and does the very thing that no one had ever done before. Defeated death, defeated the grave, and in the process defeated your sin, defeated the enemy, and the public spectacle was not him hanging on the cross, the public spectacle was God saying, see, I'm taking care of everything. And I'm the king that's riding in and what you think is the end and the loss is actually a victory. And now I reign and my kingdom moves forward and yours is over. And that's what's happening to the enemy. That's why Paul loves to talk about the cross. Loves to talk about the power of the cross. Loves to to bring up, he never gets tired of relishing the glorious paradox of the cross. That what looked like defeat was actually victory that it's God's weakness overcoming human strength, that it's God's folly 
overcoming human wisdom. That's why Paul talks about it so much. And what he says all throughout this chapter, because it's gonna go on after that, chapter, verse 16, on to the end, and say, look, don't, don't pursue all this other stuff. People are gonna try to tell you to, to try to get this kind of wisdom, try to do this human tradition, try to do this ritual in order to become more spiritual or discover it or go deeper in your faith. I love when people talk about that. I just want deeper things. Listen, you don't want deeper things. You want more of Jesus. That's what you want. That's what you're craving. What you're settling for is people's wisdom in their own words. Thinking of other traditions or other thoughts, what you need is more Jesus because that's what Paul's saying. You hold on to him. You stay rooted in him. You let him build you up. You let him strengthen you. And then you overflow with this thankfulness of everything he's done for you. I don't know if you've ever read uh, from Brennan Manning, a great author, uh, wrote a book called Abba's Child, wrote Ragmuffin Gospel, Um, Ragamuffin Gospel, if you've never read it, highly recommend it. Brennan had a friend, Ray, if you ever know his story a little bit, uh, how he got the name Brennan is an interesting story. Ray was his friend growing up, and uh, they did everything together. They bought a car together, they went to school together, they went on double dates together, they just lived life together, they did everything, they enlisted in the army together, they went off to, to basic training together, they went on missions in the army together. Everything they did was together. And they had this deep connection and friendship. And one day they're in a foxhole. And Ray's eating a chocolate bar and they're reminiscing about growing up in Brooklyn, reminiscing about their childhood and all the adventures that they had. And all of a sudden a live grenade comes thrown into this foxhole. (coughs) And Ray looks at Brennan tosses him the chocolate bar, smiles, and dives on top of the grenade. He's instantly killed. But Brennan's saved. Goes by a different name back then. He gets out of the army, he becomes a priest, and the guy says, you, you gotta come up with a saint name. What's your saint name gonna be? And he remembers Ray, Ray Brennan. And he says, I, I want my name to be Brennan. And so he takes on his name. And Brennan Manning writes about the power of the gospel, the power of everything Jesus did. And one day he's back in Brooklyn and he's meeting you know, late at night with Ray's mom. And they're, they're talking about old times. And, and somewhere in the late in the evening, Brennan looks at Ray's mom and says, do you think Ray loved me? Do you think Ray loved me? of which she stands up and there's silence in the room and she starts shaking his finger at him and says a simple sentence, what more could he have done for you? And in that moment, Brennan's kind of taken in thought to the foot of the cross and a voice says to him, do you think Jesus loves you? What more could he have done for you. What more could he have done for you? And he's undone with this incredible love of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. As you stay rooted in him, don't try to rummage around to find something else. He's gonna build you up. He's gonna strengthen you. You overflow with thankfulness. He's done it all for you.
how you grow in your faith is you just stay close to Jesus. What more could he have done for you? He's done it all. And, and so as we come to a time of communion, we do offer this every week, kind of a couple tables here in the back, a couple down front, to give you space, a time, a moment, maybe to, to capture, maybe tonight, as you take that bread and as you hold that cup, you remember all that Jesus has done for you. May it never become stale. May it never get lost in just repetition because he's given you everything. And maybe that phrase stays with you this week. What more could he have done for you? And that guides you to a deeper prayer time with him. You've been given all you need in Jesus. Hold fast to him. Stay rooted in him. Built up and strengthened in him. Continue to walk in him as he leads you forward. You keep walking with him. And so Jesus, that's what we pray tonight. As we kind of create a moment to, to take communion, to remember you, maybe it's just to, to sit in our seat and contemplate. God, it's easy the longer we walk with you to think that there's something we're missing, that there's something we've got to discover, there's a, a new level that we need to go to. God, what Paul's really driving home is we just need to keep walking in Jesus. That's the power of the gospel, not just to save us, but to lead us forward, and to help us walk in this new life with you. Everything you've done for us, so this week, would you maybe grow our, our heart of gratitude a little bit more, a couple sizes even? Would you just let us grow in our thankfulness for all you've done? And so as we worship you in communion, as we worship you through song here to end, God, would you stretch our thankful muscles? Would you stretch our gratitude heart for all you've done? And Father, may we lean more and more in alignment with you, staying close to you, being intimate, not distant, that our proximity to you is what helps grow our intimacy with you. So speak to us in these moments. Guide our hearts.